0: In this episode of the OCR Underground Show, I have a special interview with the team over at Platinum Rig Obstacle Relay Race World Championships talking all about their event coming up later this year. I'm going to discuss how strong is strong enough On breath holding and performance. And then finally, in our interview, I have on Tony Matisi, and he's going to be talking about his new book coming out, Legend of the Death Race, as well as some of his other insights on training for ultra endurance events.
1: Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee
0: free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hello and welcome to the OCR Underground Show. This is the number one resource for your training strategies for your next OCR. This is episode number 69. If you want to check out any of the show notes for this episode, head on over to www.ocrunderground.com episode 69. Well, to get things rolling, I want to let you know about new compression gear that I came across. Uh, this is Mud Force OCR. Uh, Mud Force OCR is the latest and greatest in OCR compression gear. Their gear has built in hex foam knee and elbow pads designed to keep all of your pointy parts protected on the course. They use high quality recycled material and have non slip silicone strips to keep your pants up and your shirt down. The built in rear pockets, great for ID and mustard packets or whatever you need to keep on you during your race. Uh, They have upgraded rubberized coating. It's guaranteed not to tear on the course and has even helped some of their customers grip on some of the difficult uh, obstacles. Uh, Remember, warriors go into battle with their armor on, and so should you. Snag your Mud Force OCR gear at mudforceocr.com. And if you use code OCR underground, that's capital O-C-R and then lowercase underground, you get 10% off your order. And I also want to take a minute to let you know about another one of our sponsors, uh, Fitbar, Fitbar Strong. And I actually included their beater bar in my workout yesterday. One of the circuits I did involved kettlebell swings, 10 kettlebell swings, 10 ring push-ups, followed by 10 turns on the beater bar and i would alternate five on one arm five on the other did that as many rounds as i could in 10 minutes Uh, i am definitely feeling it today it was brutal Um, but i love the beater bar check out all of the products over at fit bar strong from uh, ninja cannonball grips Uh, to nunchucks to even full rig setups if you're looking to build some stuff in your backyard they got some great options for you so fit bar strong Uh, don't forget if you use code OCR underground you can get 10% off your order. All right, well, we're gonna do a special segment in today's podcast. I have on with me Helen Demay, who is going to talk about uh, a, a world championship race that I'm actually not as familiar with, so I wanted to get her on and find out a little bit more information and um, just kind of spread the word. Uh, so we're gonna be talking about the Platinum Brig Obstacle Relay Race World Championship. Helen, how are you doing today?
2: Thank you, I'm very good.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, I have some questions and uh, I would love to learn a little bit more about this race. So why don't you just start a little bit uh, with uh, just kind of generally what what is this race, kind of how long it's been around and just some details that we would want to know.
2: So yes, the uh, obstacle relay world championship is actually very new. It's a young event, young event, sorry. It's very innovative in the world of obstacle course racing. So what it is, it's a 24 hour uh, race uh, in teams of four. And uh, basically it's designed on a 800 meter track and it's filled with obstacle. So obstacle back to back, very different, varied, uh, yet doable, so the level of difficulty is not like crazy, so that you're able to perform them over 24 hours. And let's say if you want to compare to other type of 24 hour events, so there's no, it's not like you run and then you get an obstacle; it's just obstacle one after the other. There's no mud neither, <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, no water, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, you're gonna get cold, and <laughs> so. <laughs> And so it's in teams of four, there's one teammate on the course at all time and you can relay uh, whichever way you want. So you can tag, let's say you do one lap and then you tag your teammate and the other is going or you can say I'm gonna go for five lap and then we switch, it's up to you. So the, um, the, the fun part of it is to build your team and it's not about to have the strongest obstacle course racer uh, but more to come up with the best strategy or and there are very, uh, there's a lot of possible strategies because the course, like I mentioned, you can be facing 40 obstacles at a time, but the course is changing uh, during the event. Uh, obstacles are opening, closing, obstacle are transforming, modulating. So it's not going to be boring. It's going to be constantly uh, new, challenging. And um, that's what's exciting about <laughs> That's,
0: yeah, that's actually really cool. And I, I haven't heard of a race like that before. So how, like, what can people expect? I, I'm assuming it wouldn't be like every lap, but every so often you guys will, is it like totally change out an obstacle or just kind of add tweaks to what's out there um, or?
2: Yeah, and like, Let's say you can have a six-foot wall, and at some point, it's going to be an eight-foot wall, or it's going to be an inverted wall. Uh, You can have some uh, cargo net, like an A-frame cargo net, and then, whoops, it's going to be modulating and be more like you got to go under the net, like if Mm -hmm. it's horizontal and you got to go under or through. Um, So in that sense, it's changing. Let's say you'll see, of course, some rigs. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the different grips you have to go through can vary, can change sometimes a little bit harder or easier, uh, some monkey bars that may be like just horizontal. And sometimes they're going to be, uh, going up and down. So, um, you can have different carries, um, uh, rope climbing, some station with, um, throw throwing challenges. mm mm-hmm. Uh, So you're really going to see a lot of different things, yet, like I say, doable, right? Uh, Some like original obstacle, of course, just coming from platinum ring events. So uh, I'll let you uh, discover them. Everybody will be facing the same thing at the same time and not know what's going to be open or closed. And so in that aspect, sometimes maybe very few obstacle will be open, let's say through the night. Mm-hmm. And so now maybe this is the time to send your best runner, let's say. Okay. Or let's say, ooh, they, they're, they're about to open this one, you know, that rig with the, maybe the, the, the challenging grip. And, okay, this is the time maybe to send your, your grip guy. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that it's on a track uh, and all the teams are all gathered in the middle, it's like your, um, your crew uh, area, uh, you can see everything. And your crew can help you, uh, your crew, I mean, the rest of your team and your crew, if you have a crew, can help you, can support you along the track, uh, can give you some tips and advice and, you know, keep you uh, aware of like, oh, they're going to open this or they're about to uh, close this one. So uh, it's really dynamic the whole time. Mm. So it's not, it's not boring.
0: <laughs> that's, no, that, that's really cool. And, and you're right. So that, that makes total sense. Your team, if you're all like the heavy grip Type athlete and there's more, maybe just pure laps with fewer obstacles and maybe not the strongest runner, you know, you're going to be at a disadvantage now or, Mm -hmm. you know, vice vice versa. When it's a lot of grip heavy stuff, you want to send your, your person out there and just knowing that at any point you can change. So if you have a runner out there and they just put up a whole bunch of grip based obstacles, you can tag them out and put the, whoever, and -hmm. and it doesn't have to be in order that I'm assuming. So say whoever went first could go like third again, if it um, made sense for them. So you can, you can really sub however you want.
2: Exactly. And so how it works is every time uh, a teammate complete a lap, there's a huge board, a whiteboard with uh, the lap number, laps number, and then you have uh, your team name and you just write down, uh, let's say your, your name, uh, of your teammate and the time you finished, you completed that lap. Okay. So, throughout the whole event, you can follow who's where, how much lap they have completed, and that's the goal as a team to complete as many laps as possible. Um, there's some. Uh, so, if you want to compete in being the competitive class, there's like lots of uh, cash, uh, cash prizes and prizes, like about ten thousand dollar wow. worth of uh, a person prizes. And this is, by the way, a progressive purse. So the more people uh, register, the, the prices are going to go up. So that's a cool thing. Okay. And so if you do uh, go into competitive class, uh, one, uh, in, the, in each team, uh, you, uh, you have to have a minimum of one female per team. And each teammate must complete at least 20% of the laps. Right? Okay. Okay. Let's say we have big names already uh, reg- uh, registered like uh, Ryan Atkins, right? So mm-hmm. he couldn't go and do <laughs> you know, you couldn't go like all right, go Ryan, go do yeah. 80% of the course. <laughs> I'll do what you able do the
0: rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: So in that sense, okay. you know, it's fair.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but there are also the, there there are the uh, there's the open class where it can be uh, two men, two women, doesn't matter. So you're you're going there for fun, to challenge yourself. Uh, to brag rights and you know yeah. there's also a podium to them for them uh, okay. just no uh, purse and purse. gotcha
0: okay and then so would if you're like running elite or um open would you all mm-hmm. be at the same time or is this going to be yes. over multiple days so everybody will be out there
2: yeah it's a big weekend uh, of event because there are other uh, the main event is the 24-hour team uh world championship hmm uh, but yet, yeah, competitive and open class go all together. remember as much as the teams are made of four person, there's only one person on the course going, of a time. Yeah. So the venue, you know, we, uh, we're about to, uh, finalize, uh, choose which venue we're going to use. We're going to be using just for that to have the best logistic for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's close to New York city. Okay. Um, and, um, what was I saying? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they all go together. There's also a 12 hour, like a secondary co-main event. Uh, okay. There's also 12 hours. So, uh, still competitive class and open class for that. Um, and there's Very also cool. a four hour, uh, course, if you want, that's going to be on the Sunday. So okay. Saturday, both 12 hour, 24 and 12 hours start together uh, at the same time. And the four hours uh, is on the Sunday. It's a big weekend. Yeah, uh, fun for the, of course, uh, the the runners, but also the crew, the spectators. Uh, big weekend. <laughs> awesome.
0: That's so cool. I, I one last, uh, last question I had for you was, um, just uh, with a failed obstacle, how does that work?
2: Uh-huh. so it's a mandatory obstacle uh, event. Yet, like I said, um, all the obstacles are designed so that it's you know doable. But if for some reason, yeah, I'm too tired or I'm not the best at grip and I just happen to face a, a more challenging grip-oriented obstacle, uh, often you'll either have a second, uh, uh, like a, an option B. So okay. let's say you have a rig. That's the, the main obstacle and it's a rig. And you're too tired, you keep falling. You can try again, try again as much as you want. Mm-hmm. But if for any reason, like, okay, I can't go anymore. more. You can have a, a, a B option, which would be something easier. Let's say, all right, it's an A frame you have to go over, mm-hmm. plus a carry. So, of course, it's going to take you more time to do that option B. But for sure, you will be able to keep, uh, keep moving forward. Okay, cool. You still have a third option, okay. which it would be to run back to the, um, the relay uh, area, tag one of your teammate, and your teammate, though, has to go to get to that obstacle you were you were stuck, but he has to go and do the obstacle to get there.
0: Oh, okay, Sorry. Right. so still time in that consuming. Sense, exactly. Yeah.
2: So in that sense, um, it's fair, but you can always keep moving
0: forward. Gotcha, okay. Well, very cool. This sounds like an awesome event. So it sounds like location still being finalized, but somewhere near New York on the yes. East Coast. Uh, yes. And how about the dates?
2: Uh, August 1st and 2nd. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, you can register online. You can go to PlatinumRig. Rig. Yeah, PlatinumRigEvents.com. Uh, you can also find, uh, find us on Facebook. It's everywhere Platinum Rig Events. And up there, you have all the details. Again, um, the regulation, how it works, and uh, how, how, what's the price. So right now, for the 24-hour team championship, championship, it's $189 uh, per teammate. Uh, and then you have a lots of add-on options. Well, first, this comes with your uh, jersey, the medal, your buff. It's all included, including uh, also, sorry, the insurance. Sometimes it's an extra add-on at the end. Okay. No, it's all included in there. Okay. And then you can add, have some uh, potential add-ons like a pit crew member. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can reserve a 10 by 10 VIP tent, uh, team 10 zone. Uh, you can, you know, uh, have a small pop-up RV. Uh, you can, you can do so many things. So it can really be like a fun event, um, to do you can have a custom 24-hour platinum rig hoodie Uh, we have some dry robes and raised beanie uh, all uh, branded uh, for this unique event
0: okay well that sounds awesome so i'll put the link in this episode show notes for anyone Mm -hmm. interested in learning more or registering so they can head on over and check that out Uh, helen well thank you so much for coming on and uh, explaining how the race works
2: thank you very much
0: it's time for the inside Mike's mind segment. And this is basically a chance for me to rant about some topic. And hopefully by the end, it all makes sense. And you can take something from it. So I want to talk about strength, and a couple different concepts here. But one of the big things I see when people post workouts for different obstacle course races a lot of them involve more of what you know most people call like a metabolic effect or metabolic training where it's a fast-paced circuits you're doing lots of different things getting your heart rate up and by the end you're just tired exhausted and hoping that it is going to get you better in some aspect now I think there's a definitely a, um, a place for metabolic training. But I wouldn't consider that strength training. That's something different. Now, when you look at traditional measures of strength training, you're going to look at things like one rep max. And while you may see some improvements in strength doing these kind of workouts, I don't think it's the most effective way. It's not very efficient. And um, you're probably selling yourself short. So um, I don't think we need to really get into why strength is important. But um, you know, just briefly, I think when you look at obstacles in particular, the strongest person's always gonna have the best opportunity. So when you see an obstacle that maybe you've never seen before, if you're strong enough, you will have the best chance to get through it. Now, if you're not as strong, I'm not saying you can't get through it, it's just you have to rely much, much more on technique. And if you've never done the obstacle before um, or they tweak it in some different way, you're going to have a really hard time getting through. And if the technique is just off, you just miss something, you're more likely to to slip, fall, or whatever it might be. Um, Whereas if you're strong and you do uh, have a slip up, you can recover from it. So obviously strength's important. And... I think it's probably more important for women than men. Um, And not that it's not important for men. Uh, Obviously, all of us need to be doing some form of strength training. I just think women in general are usually uh, lacking a little bit there for lots of different reasons. Maybe perception that they can't get as strong or shouldn't be as strong or whatever Um, ideas have been passed around there. When absolutely they can build muscle, they can get strong and do these things, um, without, you know, the kind of the negative connotations that you're going to be this huge person that, um, turns into a bodybuilder. That's, that's something totally different that, um, we're not even talking about. This is uh, purely strength while maybe building some muscle mass. Um, but when you look at sports, you know, in competition, they typically will separate men and women. Um, and they separate weight classes, right? One of the main reasons we have the separation is because, of the, the one that has more muscle mass is going to be stronger, has the clear advantage. So if you're going to get into, you know, um, some type of, of fighting, you know, uh, UFC, um, mixed martial arts, uh, weightlifting, you know, any of these competitions, obviously the, the bigger the person, the more advantage that they're going to have. Um, so why not try and take advantage of this as much as possible and build as much muscle as you can and get as strong as you can um, to a point. So now, that being said, I do think there's a point when you probably um, are, I, I hate to say too strong, but where where added strength may not be contributing to race performance. So this is where you have to look at, well, what's the most important thing for me? So if race performance is the really the goal of my training there gets to a point where you you probably are strong enough and you should look at what are other areas of of training that you can focus on you know maybe if it's running or uh, endurance or or something else Um, but I don't need to spend as much time with with strength because really how strong do you need to be to do some of these obstacles right so you know it's a tire flip you need to be able to strong enough to lift that tire and flip it over you need to have the strength to hold your body weight up and climb and carry over things uh, depending on the type of race you're doing there there is that strength that is absolutely required in order to to be successful so I've mentioned before some strength standards um, people like Dan John have um, listed kind of what they find is their appropriate levels of strength depending on what you're trying to do and using um, those in my own experience I've come up with my own, Standards that um, I was going to share a few with you to kind of see where you lie on on this to see if there is a deficiency in your strength levels for certain movements. So, for example, like pull-ups, I think uh, men should be shooting for around ten pull-ups. Women should be shooting for around three strict pull-ups. Um, squatting, men about one and a half times their body weight. Women uh, should be able to do their body weight. Uh, deadlifting, kind of the same, uh, maybe slightly more. Deadlifting about. Uh, one and three quarters uh, times body weight for men and one and a quarter uh, for women and uh, something like a full body exercise like a get up um, men being able to do a full Turkish get up with a 16 kilogram kettlebell women doing with a 12 kilogram kettlebell so those are just a few Um, so just judging yourself if you haven't been able to hit those numbers I think we have a deficiency there and you focusing not solely on strength training, but making strength training a priority is going to be a great opportunity to improve overall performance. Now, if you hit those numbers with no problem, not that you you shouldn't work on strength training anymore, but maybe you should focus on some other things. If you're not a super strong runner, maybe we um, back off on your strength training and increase your running ability, ability a little bit. Um, or maybe it's, it's really technique and you have to work on that technique and, and try on, other uh, specific obstacles to get better. Um, so, to wrap it up, strength I think is critical. Make sure you look at the type of type of type of work type of workout. And is it really strength training, or is it more of that metabolic training? And really be honest with yourself. That do you need to tweak your workouts at all? Um, Do you hit these standards that I um, mentioned? And is it something that you should be making a priority or does it look pretty good and and you're on the right track? So hopefully that gives you some insight on how to put together some of your strength training workouts. All right, well it's time for our research review and I'm gonna talk about uh, apnea. And we are not talking about sleep apnea, but we are going to be talking about breath holding and how this might be a new training technique, Uh, personally something I've been using for quite a while now, and really seeing the benefits from from doing so. So I'm going to talk about um, uh, kind of two studies here. Uh, The first was looking at swimmers. So I know you're not swimming a whole lot in uh, most OCRs, but I thought the findings were interesting. So I at least wanted to share them. So they looked at the effects of, um, pre-race apneas on 400 meter freestyle swimming performance. So they divided these swimmers up into four groups. They had a control group that basically did nothing. They just uh, swam the 400 meter trial before and after the, the study. Um, they had another group that just did a warm up only. So they warmed up, and then they did their uh, sprint they're swimming and then the next group did uh, the apnea only which uh, was breath holds so they're holding their breath for extended periods of time and doing so uh, three to four times before the swim and then they had a fourth group that did both a uh, bro- both breath holds and a warm-up and what they found was the group that had the most significant improvements in performance for swimming, was the warm up plus breath hold or apnea groups. So they actually saw, on average, three seconds faster times in 400 meter performance. Um, they also saw a, a spleen volume decrease by 45% versus 20% in the warm up only. Um, we're gonna get into why that is significant um, as well. But um, I I wanted to talk mainly about the significance of this and how practical it could be and and how it might help with your uh, endurance-specific performance. Um, So... there is a, quite a bit of research on breath hold, breath holding, different types of breath holding. And when you look at like freedivers that are, are holding their breath for a long period of time and, and going underwater, um, when they study those individuals, they noticed that they have reduced blood acidosis, um, reduced oxidative stress in the body, reduced basal metabolic rates, as well as increases in hematocrit, uh, the hormone EPO, Um, the amount of hemoglobin, and lung volume. So you may not have heard of all those terms before, so I can kind of walk through and explain the significance of some of these. I think the the as we get into these, the interesting thing is these um, benefits from, um, our adaptations from breath holding are, are actually pretty similar to adaptations from being at altitude too, which um, might make this uh, very appropriate if you're trying to acclimate as quickly as possible to being up at altitude. Um, So looking at uh, some of the things here, like hematocrit. So this is important. If you're increasing hematocrit, that is the ratio of volume of red blood cells to total volume of of blood. So the higher that level is, the higher red blood cell count, the more uh, chance that you have... um, oxygen saturation and hemoglobin carrying that oxygen be able to supply oxygen to working muscles uh that uh the hormone EPO you might have heard of that um as um, some endurance athletes especially like cyclists are doping and um uh using uh, EPO illegally to produce uh performance-enhancing benefits. Um, But breath-holding actually helps increase EPO release, which is going to increase the maturation and development of red blood cells, which, like I said, will increase oxygen uh, delivery. So all of these are really, really interesting things that can be done with just uh, breath-holding. I mentioned the spleen in the study. So another interesting finding is um, spleen contractions. Um, So that's why the volumes decreased because they actually contracted and this seems to be associated with some of the benefits that we previously talked about. So when the spleen and the kidneys, as well, when they are, um, when they have a lack of oxygen because you're not, you're not breathing, you're holding your breath, they will contract to send a signal to uh, do things like release more EPO. Um, it's going to increase hematocrit and hemoglobin, like we talked about, and. Um, This all will increase oxygen delivery throughout the body. Um, So, how do we get, um, how do we increase spleen contraction? Obviously, this is not like a muscle and something that you think about. So, um, three to four breath holds, maximum breath holds. Um, with about a two-minute recovery, has been shown to create this effect according to previous studies. Now, I should have probably started with the warning that obviously you can take things too far and hold your breath and black out and cause issues. So this is something that you have to regulate yourself and be careful with, and I don't recommend doing it underwater or anything like that. This should be in a controlled environment where you hold your breath to uh, the point of um, discomfort um, is probably the best way to say it. So um, voluntary uh, discomfort, but not so much that you're getting dizzy, um, going to pass out or anything like that. Um, but um these, uh, these short breath holds with a little bit of recovery in between have been shown to increase EPO by up to 24% in three hours following. Um, now that's just one aspect of this. Um, things like increase in hematocrit was not as long lasting. That would only last about 10 minutes. Um, so it's recommended that you could do something like this while you're warming up or right before or after a warmup right before a race, doing some breath holds to help give you a boost to at least start the race. Um, It's something that I personally do as I am warming up. Um, I have noticed a difference, especially racing at places like Big Bear or um, other altitude areas that that might be a concern. Um, But even if you don't wanna do it before uh, a race, um, even doing it just when you get to altitude to help with acclimation so you're less likely to suffer from any of the effects of altitude and um, hinder your performance that way as well. So um, lots of benefits you can get from this. Obviously be smart, don't do anything stupid with with your breath holding drills, but just doing three to four breath holds uh, with a a few minutes recovery um, is going to give some enhanced uh, benefit for your endurance specific performance. So uh, definitely check it out and let me know if you notice a difference after doing some of your breath hold drills. All right. So it's time for our uh, coach's interview. And today I have a special guest, Tony Mattisi. Uh Tony finished two death races, competed on American Ninja Warrior, summited Mount Rainier, ran 75 miles on a torn hip, finished the Cascade Crest 100 miler and created Spartan Endurance. So kind of a mouthful right there. Uh, so Tony, I wanted you to kind of take it away. Uh, that's some pretty impressive stuff there that you have completed, um, you know, especially looking at the contrast between kind of the American Ninja Warrior style uh, competition to uh, Death Race or 100 mile competition. So kind of, who are you <laughs> and, and how did you go about this process of being able to accomplish all these different things? Uh, thanks, thanks
1: for having me on the show. Uh, You know, it it all started actually, um, my my family is just super athletic. My parents were bodybuilders when I was growing up. Uh, They got me into gymnastics at a very young age and just learned how to become very disciplined with training through that process, um, through gymnastics and taekwondo. Um, And eventually I ended up doing like competitive cheerleading and a bunch of other stuff. And all of that kind of led me to this uh, question of what can I do? What am I capable of? And at some point, I think it was in like 2010, 2011 time timeframe, I heard about this thing called the death race. And the, you know, website was youmaydie.com. And it just totally drew me in because I was looking for like something to get out of my comfort zone to test myself um, at like an extreme level. But of course, before you do something like that, you have to do a lot of work and train up to it. So I started looking for what other events were out there that I could kind of use to train. So I, you know, found the Warrior Dash at the time and Tough Mudder and Spartan. And when I ran found on the Spartan thing, I went and participated in a one of the first hurricane heats that was, you know, ever done. It was like the third hurricane heat in Chicago. And that just... I fell in love with it and so I kind of kept training by doing longer and longer events I went and did a Goruk tough for you know 12 hours overnight, I did this thing at the time it was called seer challenge it's long and gone but it was another you know 12 plus hour event and all of these events kind of helped me prepare to do the death race. Um, and I became, an, I became a Spartan SGX coach when that first came out as a certification, just so I could educate myself better on this whole methodology of using your body to train, um, not using weights as often as you're just using, you know, functional movements and animal movements. Um, but, you know, to train for something like the death race, it's a little bit different. You have to really think outside the box. You have to put yourself into very uncomfortable situations because they're gonna put you through a very uncomfortable situation. So uh, I would, you know, go grab a rock and just carry it around my neighborhood for hours on end. Or I would, um, you know, actually there was one time, it was funny, I found like a really nice big log and I'm carrying it down the street. And then sure enough, the uh, local police department pulls up next to me and I'm walking down the street with this, you know, on the side, I'm in the gutter, but they're like, you can't do this. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just training, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they just didn't like the the fact I was in the road a little bit. So I had to get <laughs> on the sidewalk. Um, but you know, just trying to make myself as uncomfortable as possible and getting comfortable with that. That was like my main methodology. Uh, so I would spend, you know, hours in the woods at night in at the time I was living in Chicago, Illinois. So I would have to go find, you know, a forest preserve somewhere. And, uh, I would just basically throw on a ruck, put like 30, 40 pounds in it and just get lost, you know, in in the woods and then try to find my way back to my car and type stuff like that. Uh, And that's kind of how I trained for these types of things. And and then, you know, from there, it just kind of evolved into doing more and more Spartan races after I kind of did the death race. Um, And... For, some, for something like American Ninja Warrior, you know, I had to totally shift my training methodology to like more grip strength stuff. So I would go to climbing gyms and I would go places where I could hang a lot. You know, you go to the playground and you're just sitting there doing, you know, the monkey bars and stuff uh, while the kids are like, hey, I want my turn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I I, I kind of want to jump back to the death race real quick, um, just because this is that's not something we've talked about on this uh, show before. And if you could, um, I'm I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners have heard of it, but there's probably some who have never even heard of the Death Race. Could you kind of give a a background on what it is and kind of what to expect if you were going to do something like that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, over the years, um, Death Race has had a couple different uh, transitions. You know, it was part of Spartan, then it wasn't part of Spartan, now it's part of Spartan again. But Uh, At the core, it was this race that they designed, and it's actually where Spartan's born from. Like, Spartan Race came from the Death Race. They wanted to, like, take this crazy event and make it um, more accessible because the Death Race is so, like, crazy, right? And Mm -hmm. out there. And so the race is a race with no defined start and no defined finish, you know, you don't, there's not like a starting line that you go to and you're like, okay. And you don't know that there's a, there's no course map. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And this race can last up to 60, 70. I think there was one year it lasted like over 72 hours. So you really, really don't know what you're going to get. And the race directors, their goal is basically to make you quit Um, And they're doing this because they're trying to make you a better human. They're trying to push you physically and mentally. I mean, people that show up to this, they are more than physically prepared. It's really the mental game that really, really comes into play more than anything because, you know, it's easy to train and get used to picking up, you know, a rock 3,000 times. It's easy to go train to um, summit, you know, these mountains that they have out there in Vermont where, where it started. But it's really hard to prepare for the unexpected like, curveballs that they're going to throw you. And, and they're really good at figuring out how to get in your head. And each individual, they will find you know, something that's going to make them trigger and you know possibly consider quitting. And so they will find that, and then they will just like, harp on you. So it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting race in that every single race is different. And the one thing that you can't expect is it's going to last a very long time. And you're going to be just beyond uncomfortable the entire time.
0: How how many people typically um, will start this race? So when I was doing these, I was doing
1: these like in the early like 2010s of 2012 to 14 was my years. Um, And back then we would see, I think, anywhere from 200 to 300 people show up. It was definitely kind of. Um, getting a lot of notoriety yeah yeah. today they brought it back it went into retirement for a couple of years and they brought it back in 2018 and 2019 Um, and it's coming back again in 2020 I believe so they now I think are getting more like about 100 or so people Mm -hmm. but my understanding is a lot more people are much better prepared for it than they ever were before so they're getting like much higher quality participants um gotcha. whereas previously like you'd get a lot of people they kind of call them the hoodie chasers because the death race hoodies were really cool mm-hmm. and so they would show up just to kind of get their hoodie and then you know last five ten hours and then get out <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. so i think they've gotten a lot just um more developed uh participant now
0: and gotcha. yeah and is so, you know, with no defined start and finish, um, is this a, the style of race that there is, well, one, is there always a winner? And is there only a winner and everybody else quits? Um, what What's kind of the, the process behind behind? You it? know,
1: so every single race is different, um, like I said, but it's kind of hard to say. Um, they do pick out people that are like, quote unquote, winners, but mm-hmm. everyone always, you know even the winners sometimes are like, did I really win? Like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's one of those, I mean, sometimes, yes, there's like a very, very clear athlete who just performs at like, you know, the highest highest level and they're clearly the winner, but sometimes it's really hard because, you know, some racers don't have the exact same race experience. For instance, my first year uh, my entire team got stuck with a tire and we had to take this tire through a single track trail called Bloodroot for 18 miles While the other teams had like a kayak or a slosh pipe, which is, you know, a PVC pipe filled with water and it's sloshing around. And those things were easy to carry overhead. Whereas the tire, we couldn't really do anything with it on a single track trail. I mean, this is like a tractor tire. We're talking Mm -hmm, about, you know, mm -hmm. 500 pounds maybe. Um, And so we had an entirely different race than everybody else. And so we didn't do all the obstacles they did. We didn't do half, like there's a ton of things we didn't do. But what we did do is we carried that damn tire for 18 (laughs) miles. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, uh, and it's hard to answer that question. But they do try to pick out winners. They definitely do try to pick that out. Um, more than one person can definitely finish. Sometimes they have in their head, we want this many fish finishers. Um, sometimes that's a percentage sometimes mm-hmm. it's an actual number mm-hmm. sometimes they've only bought um, so you get like a plastic skull you, know, you can probably go buy them on amazon or ebay but you'll have that's like the big prize for finishing and maybe they only bought so many this year so they might be trying to only have that many finishers <laughs> because they only bought so many yeah. right so it really changes but they're usually shooting for at least when i was more involved they were
0: shooting for like a uh would say
1: 10 to 20 percent finish rate
0: okay yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole different ball game and obviously a different motivator to do something like that when it's not like, I just need to be to the finish line first um, because there, there is no, not a necessarily a finish line, you know? So that's, that's yeah, a, the that's race a, is over when they say it's over. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a whole new motivator. Uh, so you, you talked about mental training and I think regardless of the race distance that you're training for the type of race, this is something that a lot of people don't focus on because it's like you said, it's easier to, to go to the gym or to, to hit the trail or to do something. Um, cause you just kind of go through that process, but the mental side is like you said, a challenge. I don't know if you have any kind of tips that maybe work for you that you could, you know, focus on, on some of that aspect of the, the training.
1: So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is I believe in the power of the smile. <laughs> um, if you can smile through everything and make everything a positive, it's really, it gets a lot easier. Um, and that's hard sometimes. I mean, you're being rained on, you're holding this 60 pound, you know, rock in front of you and you have 60 pounds on your back and they're yelling at you, screaming at you like a drill sergeant. It's kind of hard to keep that smile going, but if you're able to somehow channel it and force it, it'll like, it's really interesting, the power of it, because you can convince yourself that you're enjoying it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. just by smiling. And I know that might sound crazy to some people, but it's true. Uh, And I I truly believe this and uh, I practice this. Uh, Other ways, though, are are to, um, you know, you have to develop the confidence in yourself. You have to uh, believe with conviction that you can do whatever it is that you're setting out to do. And, you know, that might require you to go do things um, that are really hard, that scare you. Um, having courage is something I talk about a lot and having the courage to do things that scare you are usually what make you become stronger and more capable of overcoming these kinds of mental challenges. And so just by putting yourself out there and doing the things that you think you want to do and you actually just go do them, it can make you mentally
0: stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you have that comfort zone, if you just make that comfort zone bigger, you you can put up with a lot more stuff and crap that gets in your way. So, um, and, and, and the smiling thing is great. I a uh, a while ago I had Susan Hutchinson on and, um, he wrote the book endure and kind of talking about a lot of the, the brain and its influence on performance. And that was one of the big things he found in his research was, you know, smiling and, you know, like in a race having, um, you know, family and friends on the, on the trails and making you smile. And it just all of a sudden erases all the pain that you might've been feeling or the doubt or whatever it is. And um, you know, when I did the uh, Spartan Ultra Beast, that was a big thing for me too. I, uh, I didn't know it, but I had some clients, you know, send letters and my wife put them in my, my bucket and, you know, they were just, they were funny. There were some funny pictures in there and stuff like that. And it just, you know, made me laugh, made me smile. And, you know, when I was ready for my second lap, it, I was ready to go. And it was just a nice, a fresh start. And even if you have to trick yourself into doing it, it's, it's amazing what that can do.
1: Yeah. Those things can be so helpful. And, and you kind of touched on this almost Uh, the big thing is you have to uh, you have to develop friendships out there. You have to create bonds with people. Don't go out there trying to be the lone wolf. You'll fail more than likely. There's only a handful of people that can go out there and be a lone wolf it's basically you against, you know, the race directors. And if you band together and create your own team of people and you keep pumping each other up and you keep motivating each other and you surround yourself by other people that are being positive about everything that you're going through, that makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, but if you surround yourself with someone who's a complainer, say goodbye. You're gonna end up right with them complaining And your race is probably going to end at some point. So you really got to find like the people that are going to pump you up and that you can help pump up
0: too. Absolutely. I think you can take that into life too, right? Just being around. (laughs) Every single single aspect of life. You know,
1: networking is the most important thing. And the more we pump each other up, you know, the more people are going to want to pump you up. And it's just, it's true in business as it is in athletics, as it is in your, you know, family, friends, everything. It's just, it's so important for us to create alliances.
0: Hey guys, sorry to interrupt this awesome interview, but I want to let you know about one more of our amazing sponsors, and that is Venga CBD. Uh, Venga CBD makes products specifically engineered with the endurance athlete in mind. Their products have zero THC and are water soluble, so you get five times more CBD in your bloodstream than most other hemp oils. Definitely check out their products at VengaCBD.com slash OCR Underground and get 15% 15% off your order when you use code OCR underground. Now back to the interview. You have a book coming out and I want to talk about it. So Legend of the Death Race. So what, what kind of give us the overview? What's this book? I mean, obviously it's about the death race, but what kind of made you want to write this book and um,
1: yeah, so go through this whole process? Yeah.
0: So it's, you know, it's super interesting. When I first decided I was going
1: to do this death race thing, um, I wanted accountability and how do you create accountability for me? I needed to put it out there. I'm doing this thing and I needed to write about how I was training. And I, I felt compelled to do that, to write about how I was training, why I was training, you know, and just everything revolved around this death race as, as I was preparing for it. And so I just started blogging. And then after the event, you know, I, had such an amazing experience, I wanted to share it with the world, I felt like everyone should do a death race at some point in their life. Because in my opinion, it was like the life changing thing for me, you know, is it's a definitely it was a life altering event. And if I could share that with people, that'd be great. So I started blogging about the experience. And, you know, after the first year I had written, you know, it took me like 10 blog posts, anywhere from a 1000 to 2000 words each, to get the whole story out there. It's a lot of content. Mm -hmm. And then I went, I kept going back because the first year I finished, but I got an unofficial finish. And that's, it's a weird nuance about the death race. Um, And and sometimes they have races where you're able to be an unofficial finisher. And sometimes they don't. Um, Basically that was because of the whole tire thing, right? Like I missed obstacles. And so Mm -hmm. technically like they were trying to say, I didn't finish, but um, everything, but we finished a lot of work and just did a whole ton of different work. So they still gave us a skull because we never quit. Mm -hmm. And so, I got that skull, but you know, it sat with me and it was like, I need to go back. I need to go get an official finish. Like I really, really needed an official finish. And so I went back a second year and the second year I actually got sick and just, it was terrible. And then the third year I went back again and I finally got that, that skull and I finished. Mm -hmm. And so after writing about the first year, second year, third year, I had just so much content about this, this race that changed my life. And I was like, I need to, to do something with this. And so at some point, I decided, you know what, this is enough content to create a book. But I can't just create a book about, you know, just my experience, I need to do more. And so I tried to figure out, you know, what values were important to me, what message I wanted to share with others um, from that experience. And, you know, it's, it's really funny, but I'm a big Zelda geek, actually. (laughs) And um, I derived a lot of my uh, belief system from that. And so, you know, if you don't know Zelda, it's a Nintendo video game, but it, in it, there's a Triforce. And the Triforce is the, uh, there's the Triforce of Courage, the Triforce of Power, and the Triforce of Wisdom. And so these three things have, since I was a child, stuck with me having courage, power, and wisdom, right? Um, it in those those elements, those virtues, all are what can get you to succeed at anything in life. I realized after doing this death race because if you have the courage to start something, that's great. But once you start, you got to keep. You got to develop the power. You have to, you know, keep doing things. You have to make mistakes. You have to 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 grow. And this applies to anything, not just athletics, not just death race. This applies to everything in life. If you want to go become, you know, uh, uh, some sort of singer you're going to have to have the courage to go and sing in front of people. And then you're going to have to have the ability to make your voice better and to develop your performance and all that stuff. And that requires a power because you have to consistently do it over and over again. And that's the power. So power doesn't just mean physical strength. It can be something more than that. Right. And then from your failures and your successes, what do you gain? You gain wisdom. And then that wisdom helps you To accomplish those things. And so with those three elements, you can pretty much do anything you want to do in life. And so I injected that into this book, and tried to make sure that that concept was articulated in a way that it would, you know, resonate with others. And so um, after many years of (laughs) rewrites and working on it, it finally came together as this book about this message, and how, you know, for me, it was the death race, but it could be for anyone and whatever they're trying to do.
0: That's I, I, that is so awesome, and I, I love everything you're saying there. And I, uh, I'm super excited that you have the opportunity to explain this because I think, you know, if some people just say death race. I'm never going to do that, um, you know. But everything you're saying here, it's it's not about the death race. This is your that was your way to basically. Come to these ideas and this this process of of you know getting through life and whatever that is you know whatever your death race is, whether it 's the actual race or you know work or you know or like a Spartan sprint you know whatever it might be, those concepts are going to be essential for your success, like just can you like hit start like and you know sign up for a race and then can you actually follow through and and I love the wisdom thing just because you know people think like you, you just, you don't gain, you know, you, you gain wisdom, but you kind of earn it, right. You, you go through successes, you go through failures and, you know, I know a lot of people like when they hear that word failure, it's not a bad thing. It's about, it's just you did something a way that wasn't the best way to do it. And you, now you learn that and you can move on from it. So, um, that concept I think can go such a long way for people that like that, that mess up or, you know, things don't go your way. There's so much you can gain from it. And, um, And then, you know, like you, now you're passing this on to other people so they can benefit from your successes and your failures and, um, you know, hopefully make their path a little bit less of a struggle. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? It's
1: just to help others figure out how they're going to succeed at whatever it is they're trying to succeed at in life, because let's be honest, it's hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful that this whole message was able to come together and that I was able to create a vehicle to, to get it out there. But, you know, I'm not the only person who's done the death race. I'm not the only person who's got a story about this. And so, you know, I, that's why I decided to, I wanted it originally when I wrote the book, I really wanted to include like all of my friends' death race stories in this. So it could mm-hmm. be like this big legend of the death race. That was like the first kind of version of it. But I realized like, you know, I'm going to have like this massive, massive book with like <laughs> thousands of pages if I do it that way. Like I'm a Tim like, Ferriss book.
2: Yeah. And I'm like, that's not gonna work.
1: No one's gonna want to read that. And so, uh, you know, I realized podcasts like this one is a great vehicle for sharing other stories. And so I decided to share all my fellow death racers stories now through a podcast as well, the legend of the death race podcast, so that way they can get their story and message out there about how they succeed and conquer, not only the death race, but other obstacles in life.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I'll make sure in the the show notes I'll put links to uh, to uh, your podcast. And uh, so I know the book's not out. When when it is available, where will people be able to find it?
1: Yeah. So the book will be out March 10th. I'm hosting a launch party out here in Seattle, Washington. So anyone who's listening, if you're in the area, March 10th, come on down. We're going to go to Arundel Books. It's in Pioneer Square in Seattle um, from six to eight p.m. And we're going to have a little party and. Um that's when the book will be available. It's going to be available in print, um as a paperback or as a hardcover. Uh it's going to be available on Amazon, iBooks, uh Google book- like all the different, you know, electronic book companies will have it. And then um it's a little bit delayed right now, but I will also have an audiobook version available um sometime before summer. I'm just working through getting that edited.
0: Awesome. That's cool. I, and again, I'll, uh, when it is available, I'll make sure to put links on our website so people can easily find that depending on when they might be listening to the show. If it's after the launch, uh, release date, then they can just head on over there and, and uh, pick up a copy. Uh, and uh, before we start recording, you were talking about you're actually game planning for your next book as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Yeah, so it's still really, really in the early stages. But you know, one of the things that um, stood out to me is like, People who do endurance races are of a different breed. And it's not just death races or 12-hour hurricane heats or or you know this Spartan-centric endurance race. There's so many types of endurance out there. There's the Ironmans, you know, there's people that are climbing really big mountains. You know, there's stories like Shackleton um, of endurance. There's lots of different types of endurance, but it's like, what makes someone want to do that? And I'm gonna dive into that topic really deeply to understand the why and so I'm gonna go interview just I want to interview every single type of endurance athlete I can meet and find so that we can figure out what it is that makes these people tick and uh, share that with the world kind of like a you mentioned Tim Ferriss his tools of titans I mean think about Mm -hmm. it like a tools of endurance nice
0: well, that's awesome. So definitely looking forward to, to both of these books, um, when they're available. Um, Hey, I wanted to thank you for coming on. This is great stuff. Uh, I never thought we were going to talk about the legend of Zelda, but I'm super excited that we did, uh, courage, <laughs> power, wisdom. I think, you know, just those three words, you can get so much out of life through that. So Tony, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, spending some time with us. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a great pleasure. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 69 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you for making this show part of your training routine. A big shout out and thanks to uh, Platinum Rig Obstacle Relay Race World Championships. Um, also, Tony Matisi for sharing his insight. Um, if you want to check out any of the links for signing up for the World Championship Race or uh, check out Tony's book or any other things we mentioned in the show, make sure you head on over to the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 69. Um, also, if you are looking for help with your training Program. I would love the opportunity to work with you. Um, I have my Fuel and Fire Elites program over the next 90 days. I will work with you and get you race ready, whatever that means specifically for you. Um, again, just head on over to OCRunderground.com to learn more about all the programs that I offer. Uh, that's it for now. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep training smarter.